pleasure to be with you today. Let me get this fixed here. Yeah, I'm James White, and uh, I don't get to see you that much because I'm usually in the first service and then teaching Sunday school afterwards, but I'm glad to be able to preach the word to you today. Craig and Mike are in Guatemala, as Jonathan mentioned earlier, and uh, look forward to them having a great week there and being back with us next Sunday. So did you all go to Kroger this morning and buy all the sweet tea at Kroger this morning? Now, usually I go to Kroger on Sunday mornings. I'm always picking up something for Sunday school or a party afterwards or a luncheon. And so today, my wife Renee told me that I needed to stop by Kroger and pick up some sweet tea for a Sunday school party after church. So I went into Kroger, Andy, I went into Kroger, and um, I, I, I go in where I normally do, and right there at the front, there's always a stack of Milo sweet tea. Now, that's one of my favorites, Milo sweet tea. I go in this morning, there's none of it. It's gone. I said, I'll just walk to the back of the store. Surely there'll be some in the back. None. No Kroger sweet tea. It's all gone, and I'm thinking, what am I going to do? And then I looked, and uh, there was some Gold Peak sweet tea, ha about half the size and twice the price, and I had to buy it. Now, so you all went to the grocery store and did that to me today. I don't know what that's all about. I don't know what the run on sweet tea is today, but it reminds me of an old grocery store story. I used to work in a grocery store years ago when I was in seminary. Well, I heard a story about a, a couple in a grocery store, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Well, they would come in, and Mr. and Mrs. Smith were a couple that had been married a while, but they didn't really get along real well. They tolerated each other. Mrs. Smith, in particular, had a problem. She liked to go to the grocery store but she liked to bring home more than she paid for at the grocery store, okay? So she had a little bit of a kleptomania problem there. Mr. Smith was aware, but he sort of tolerated it. She'd been in trouble for it a few times, but the judge would also always wave it off and say, oh, it's, that's small potatoes, don't worry about it. Well, finally, the manager of the store gets so tired of it. He says, this time I'm prosecuting. This time I want there to be a consequence. She's got to stop doing this. So they're in court that day for the hearing. The judge, here's all the evidence, finds out that what is at stake is that she, she stole a big can of, of peaches, okay? One of those big cans of peaches. Now, the judge said, now how can I make a point here over a can of peaches? So he asked the manager, he said, how many peaches are in that can? Manager said, about 10 peaches are in that can. He said, okay, for every peach you stole, there's a day in jail for you. For every peach, one day in jail. And so he's getting ready to hit the gavel and say, case closed and take her to jail. And then he says, well, Mr. Smith, would you like to say anything before I, pr I pronounce judgment here? Mr. Miss Smith said, uh, uh, yes, sir. Uh, she also stole a can of peas that day. <laughs> so you guys who got all the sweet tea, I tell you, I'm going to come looking for you next time. Well, today we're looking at continuing to look at conversion stories in the book of Acts. We've been in that for several weeks. Craig's been leading us through that. And when Craig asked me to preach today, uh, he mentioned the conversion story that he, he wanted me to preach about. 
the Apostle Paul. And I immediately knew what I would preach about because I preached this sermon before. In fact, this sermon is one that's one of my favorites to preach, and I've, I've had it for many, many decades. Uh, I don't take credit for all of it because uh, I was inspired by this sermon to write this sermon by by the words and leadership of one of my former preaching professors years ago, uh, Dr. Myron Taylor was his name. Great, great man. He's in heaven now. And but I, I remembered the things that he said that that and I've incorporated them in with some of my thoughts to share with you these words about the conversion of Paul the apostle. In a moment, we'll be looking at our scripture passage, which is from Acts chapter 9, starting at verse 1. But before we do that, we want to say uh, that our first exposure to Saul of Tarsus, Saul of Tarsus, who would become Paul the Apostle, our first exposure to him is at the end of chapter 7 of Acts, going into the first part of chapter 8. Uh, after the day of Pentecost and the church growing like wildfire in Jerusalem, uh, there were certain evangelists and speakers that would go out and preach the gospel. <clears throat> One of them's name was Stephen. Stephen was a great, great evangelist of the gospel, and it got him in trouble. There was opposition to the gospel message uh, by, by the Jews that were there. And uh, Stephen ultimately would face the death penalty for this. An enraged mob would grab him and throw him in a pit, and they began to stone him, throw rocks at him and stone him. Well, this was a consequence of what he'd been doing in preaching the gospel. So he was the first martyr of the church. Well, very, very quiet little reference there at the end of chapter 7 going into chapter 8 simply says this that Saul of Tarsus was there giving his approval, holding the coats of those that were stoning Stephen. We see that little glimpse of it, and then we pick up again in chapter 9, this passage, which is our scripture passage for today, which you'll be able to read along, see along with me. It says simply this, Meanwhile, Saul, this same Saul, was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who had belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, Saul asked. I'm Jesus, who you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Later on, we find out that he's told that he needs to go see a man named Ananias. We're told that he needs to obey what Ananias says for him to do, and ultimately he'd be baptized. And after that, we would find down in chapter 9 these words. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, and at once he began to teach and preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem? among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come over here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful 
and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. Today I want to talk to you about two individuals, Saul of Tarsus and Paul the Apostle. Because later, Paul would take on the name Paul, which was his Greek name, as he went and ministered and preached the gospel to the Gentiles. But initially known as Saul of Tarsus. And I want to talk to you about Saul of Tarsus and this Paul the Apostle. And I want you to ask the question. I want you to think about it. How in the world, how in the world could these two people be the same person? How in the world did Saul become Paul, go back in your mind's eye and visualize that with me as we kind of walk through this story and all the things that led up to it. Think about this. In the reign of Caesar Augustus, probably about 5 AD, in a, in, in a day that, that, that we don't know exactly what day it was, a son was born to a couple, Jewish parents but Roman citizens in the city of Tarsus, in the province of Cilicia. This is all we really know for sure about the birth of this child and his upbringing until we begin to see that he steps into, church, into the highlights of history, the limelight of history, and is described in the book of Acts. He himself will write things and fill us in on his upbringing. But if we were to speculate on what it was like that, that during that birth time, we might well imagine on the eighth day of his life, the child being held up and his family gathering around with his friends to hear these words. His name is Saul. Today I want you to take a look at these two individuals, Saul and Paul. I want you to look at Saul of Tarsus and look at Paul the Apostle, and I want you to ask the question, how in the world did Saul become Paul? When we meet him, he's a young man, a young man of the sect of the Pharisees within the Jewish religion. New Testament scholars generally agree that he was a young man of great, great promise a rising star in the religion of Judaism. Born a Roman citizen, he had a first-rate education. He was brought up at the feet of the esteemed rabbi and teacher, Gamaliel. He was one of the outstanding rabbis of that day and noted as a preserver of true Phariseeism. So Paul was able to study under him. Saul was. Trained in all questions of the law, Saul was a man of vigilance and activity. He was probably never one to idle away his time, but was rather a man of intensity, passionately devoted to any cause which would call for his support. He was fully dedicated to his religion, his faith of his upbringing. He would later boast that he was circumcised on the eighth day. He was part of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of all Hebrews concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning the law blameless, blameless. Acts chapter 22 and 26 gives us an insight 
as he describes some of his past life and tells us that he had been a zealous, zealous enemy of the church. He himself said he blasphemed the church. He persecuted the church, violently injured and opposed the church. At Stephen's death, he gave his consent and held the coats of those who were killing Stephen. In the book of Galatians, he says, I persecuted the church violently and tried to destroy it. I punished it often in the synagogues, and I strove to make them blaspheme. When they were put to death, I gave my vote against them. To Saul of Tarsus, Christianity was a cancer that needed to be cut out. And so he set about to stamp it out in Jerusalem, to wipe it out. And he did such a good job that the church there was forced to scatter. Well, not content with what he'd done in Jerusalem, he went to get letters of approval to go up the road to Damascus, about 150 miles, because he'd heard that maybe there were Christians there, and he wanted to get rid of them also. Never before, never before or since have we seen such a dedicated, determined, one-man opponent of the church, such a determined enemy. And yet, in all of this that he was doing, Paul thought he was right. He thought he was doing the right thing. Act chapter 26, he says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus. Acts chapter 23, he said, I have lived before God in all good conscience up to this day. He thought he was right, but he was wrong. He was dead wrong. A lot of folks in culture, and maybe your friends or associates, sometimes they'll say, well, as long as... Because I feel like it's the right thing to do, it's right. It's, I'm okay with that. Well, guess what? That's not always true. Saul of Tarsus thought he was right. And because of what he did, many, many people were violently hurt. Many people went to their deaths. He thought he was right, but he was wrong. He was wrong. Saul thought he was right. He was as sincere as a man could get, but he was wrong. And it cost many their lives. Now let's take a minute to look at a man called Paul the Apostle. We've looked at Saul of Tarsus. What about Paul the Apostle? As we meet Paul, we find that the persecution of the church has ended from him. His mad career of wreaking havoc on Christians is over. Those close to him probably think that he's crazy. He's been out in the sun too long. They can't imagine what he's doing. That even though he's a member of the Jewish religion from birthright, that he's turned away from his old teacher and given up the pure cause of Judaism. Even though Paul is still a Jew and, 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 and certainly observes uh, some of the practices of the Jews when he's in there in certain situations and he sees the Messiah and Jesus and the Gospels as fulfillment, fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies and Judaism. But he's opposed by those who are close to him. Those who used to be his associates now are his opponents. 
It cost him a lot. It cost him a lot. In his relationships with people, you can only imagine. It cost him a lot. But now all this, as he says, counts for loss, for nothing. He says he leaves it all at Jesus' feet, the foot of the cross, not for a little while, but forever. In good and bad circumstances, he can now say to live as Christ, to die is gain. The faith he once persecuted, he now proclaims. He says, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Those who once joined him and supported him now oppose him. They now persecute him even to foreign cities. They demand that he renounce this lunacy that he's involved in and return to the pure teachings of Judaism in their mind. And yet he will not even though they lay 39 lashes on his back five different times. Three times they, they beat him with rods. Once he's stoned to the point of death. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and you hear all the things he was involved in. Shipwrecks and, and, and the stress of, of traveling and the, to the point of death many, many, many times. And yet he does not relent. He does not stop preaching the gospel. How does he do it? Where does he get his strength to continue doing this? Listen to his words. His words that we remember where he says, Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall nakedness, tribulation, peril, sword? No, and all these things we're more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. Remember the love of this man, the Apostle Paul. The love this man had for Timothy and Epaphroditus, people that he had mentored and people that strengthened him. He's a man devoted to those who he used to scorn. Up and down the world he goes, over the seas and mountains, nothing can stop him. Put him in a jail, and he'll convert the jailers, the guards. Trap him in a walled city, and he'll get lowered down over the wall in a basket. Truly he can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. At the end of his life, church tradition tells us that Paul was a small, battered old man waiting in a prison cell to be beheaded during Nero's reign. Yet even in his last hours, he can say those words that he penned, I have fought the good fight of faith now awaits me a great reward in heaven. Paul is dead and gone to be with the Lord. How? How can it be? How in the world can such a, a thing happen? These two dramatically different people, Saul of Tarsus and Paul the apostle, in a world like ours, that's so skeptical of change in a world like ours that's so polarized. Political differences, differences of all kinds of cultures and so forth seem to separate us so much. People say, well, we, we just can't get along. How in the world 
Is it too, it's almost too much to imagine that the two people we've discussed today are the same person. Is it possible that such a radical transformation can take place? Or is it true that human nature never changes? Once a bomb, always a bomb. Once a failure, always a failure. Once selfish and arrogant, always selfish and arrogant. Like our old world would be prone to say. How in the world did Saul of Tarsus become Paul? Well, let's go back in our mind's eye to that road to Damascus. Seething with inward purpose, Saul sets out for Damascus to capture as many Christians as possible. But some miles outside the city, something happens that he didn't plan on. In a light from heaven, Saul was confronted by one who spoke to him in his native Hebrew tongue, saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul began to see at that point that he was on the wrong road. How did Saul, the determined persecutor of the church, become Paul, the great apostle of the church? How in the world? It's very simple. Three words. He met Jesus. He met Jesus. Something happened to Saul <laughs> after meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus, after obeying instructions to go to Ananias, after being baptized, we see a different man who's now going and saying, wait a minute, <laughs> arguing for the truthfulness of the risen Lord. I've seen him. He's beginning to speak and teach, and he would learn more, and he would be with the, the apostles more and learn more about Jesus' life. But he's already beginning to say these kind of things. He's already a tremendous advocate, proponent of the gospel. Can you imagine the shock felt by his former associates, his family, his friends, those in the Pharisees? Surely they thought the man is sick. Surely they thought he's crazy. He's had too much wine. He's gone mad, but after the hours and then days and weeks passed, they began to realize that something indeed had happened to old Saul of Tarsus on that road. Something so dramatic that he, it had transformed his life. That unstoppable leader, that unstoppable opponent of the church was now the unstoppable proponent of the church, the change in Saul cannot be lightly dismissed. Outside of the empty tomb, the bodily resurrection of Jesus, probably the conversion of Saul is one of the most powerful testimonies to the veracity and truthfulness of the gospel message. That such a change could happen in such a man, the Apostle Paul. When a man or woman really meets Jesus, things can change. Amen? Amen. Jesus said, I have come to give you real life and to give it to you in abundance. Paul found that life. If you read his epistles, books later in the New Testament, it's obvious that he had changed and changed for the better. The eloquent words he writes that calls us to the, the wonderful principles and, 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 and truths that the Lord demonstrated, Jesus, our Lord, in his life. We say, we look at these things, and it's just so beautiful, the things he writes. What changed about old Paul after he became Paul the Apostle? I believe one thing that changed is his view of himself. 
his view of himself. Maybe I'm mistaken, but I don't envision Saul of Tarsus as being a real humble guy, you know. Rather, I see a man who was probably meticulous about being blameless above the law, right in every way. He was consumed with it and probably proud of it too. But when we look back at Paul, we see a humble man. A humble man who has learned to be content in all circumstances, good and bad. A man who is overwhelmed by God's grace and God's love. For even him who called himself what? The worst of all sinners. A man whose life is lived in response to gratitude to God for what God has done for him. You know, we think about old Paul and him saying that about himself and say, how in the world could Paul the Apostle say he's the worst of all sinners? Because I think he's just like us. I think, boy, when he really knew the Lord and, and really dawned on him what he had done in his past, it grieved him that he had been a part of people going to jail that he had been a part of people being executed, that he was party to that, and it was ever before him. And he needed the grace of God to get past it. And he was somebody who was always conscious of God's grace, and he writes so much about grace that's there for him and that's there for us too. You see, when I get a sense and you get a sense of what God has done for us, when I get a sense of who I am in Christ, then I can only live with a life that is a response of gratitude. That a life that says, well, given what you've done for me, what is it that I can't do for you, Lord, and your kingdom? And my life begins to change out of gratitude for the grace and forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. People around me begin to wonder. People around you begin to wonder, what's with you? Why are you acting that way? You're, you're an anomaly. I don't see people like you and, 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 and what they don't see until you tell them is what Christ has done in your heart. Paul's view of himself changed, but his view, I think, some, something else changed. His view of other people changed too. <laughs> now, no longer were there people simply somebody, those to, 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 to zealously be kept in line those to be forced to follow the, the rules exactly and so forth. Rather, now people are those who are to be loved in Christ Jesus. Those who are precious gifts of God. Those who the Lord's Son gave his own life for. Everyone precious in the Lord's eyes. Sure, Paul could be tough at times. Sometimes he could be kind of tough. But you know what? He also loved folks. And you see that the way people reacted to him in little obscure ways. There's a passage in Acts chapter 19 after Paul had spent a couple years in the town of Ephesus. And the people there know he has to leave. And they know they're never going to see him again. Because they know where he's going. He's going to probably end up in Rome. And they know what's probably ahead of him. And, they, and they're grieved at it. And at a touching passage there in Acts 19, it talks about how the Ephesian church elders come down to the beach as he's getting on the boat, and they embrace him. 
and they weep because they love him and because they know they're not going to see him again. We could go on and on about Paul's purpose, his vision, all kinds of things, lots of change in Paul's life, lots of change. And we've only had time to mention a few today. But we can be sure that these changes did not come from Paul alone. <laughs> he had to have some help. I have to have some help. I don't know about you, but to be transformed into the likeness of Christ, I can't do it all by myself. I need the help of the Holy Spirit. And thank God that when Paul met Jesus, the same Jesus that came to live in his heart has come to live in your heart today and my heart today. And change for the better is possible. Perhaps today I need to consider meeting Jesus for the first time. Maybe there's somebody here that that needs to be. You need to be just like Saul, meeting Jesus for the first time. And in a few moments, we'll, we'll offer a chance for you to do that. But also, those of us who know the Lord, maybe today's a day that I can draw a line in the sand and say, you know, oh, that thing that I won't give up to the Lord, that doggone impatience where I'm just too impatient with people and I'm too hard on people, or I need to, I need to get better at that. I need the Lord to help me with that. I need, I need that to be transformed in my life. I need the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, kindness. I need those things to be predominant in my life. And you know what the good news is? The Lord provides us the power to do that. If we surrender our life to Him and trust Him, He can enable us to have the change that Saul of Tarsus had to be Paul the Apostle. As I close today, I'd like to share a story with you, a story I heard many, many years ago. Most towns that are urban, big urban towns, will have some sort of Salvation Army or Atlanta Union Mission or some, some sort of missionary place where folks can go that are in need of shelter or in need of food or in need of help, rehabilitation. And, and there was this town where there was a mission there in town. And and it had a ministry in particular to, to those who were addicted to alcohol. There was a fellow there named Joe. And Joe had been there many, many times. And people got to know Joe. And Joe had the reputation of being the worst drunk in town. They knew him. They knew they'd be seeing him again. And that he'd be just a dirty wino. That there was no hope for him. People would shake their heads. Only a miserable existence awaited him down the road. But you know what? Something changed. Joe, Joe, Joe had a conversion experience. Joe heard the gospel. Joe met people who showed him Christ. Joe had a conversion experience. And when he had a conversion experience, he gradually became something different. He began to be known as the most caring person that anyone associated with that mission downtown. Joe spent days and nights hanging out at the mission doing whatever needed to be done. There was never any task that was too lowly for Joe to take on. There was never anything that he was asked to do that he considered to be beneath him. Whether it was cleaning up vomit left by some violently sick alcoholic, or scrubbing toilets after careless people had left the bathroom filthy. 
Joe did what was asked with a soft smile on his face and with a seeming gratitude for the chance to help. He could be counted on to feed people who wandered into the mission off the street and to undress and tuck into bed people who were too out of it to take care of themselves. One evening when the director of the mission was giving a message to the, to the group that night, usually an evangelistic message during the evening, the gospel message, to the usual crowd of still and sullen men with drooped heads, there was one man who looked up. And he came down to the front at the time of the altar call. And as he was crying out God and, uh, to God and kneeling to pray, he was saying these things, God help me change, God help me change. But then he began to say, the penitent drunk began to say this, Dear God, make me like Joe, make me like Joe, make me like Joe. The minister of the mission hearing this gently leaned over and whispered in the, the man's ear, Son, I think it'd be better if you prayed. Make me like Jesus. Make me like Jesus. The man looked up through his tears with a quizzical expression on his face. And he asked this question to the minister. Is he like Joe? Don't you want that question asked about you and me? Live our lives in such a way that people will wonder, why? What's happened to us? Live our lives in a way that, that show people. A lot of people would rather hear, see a sermon than hear one any day. Live our lives in a way that, that people wonder, what has happened to them? And, and not only that, I, I want what they have. And we have opportunities to do that every day, beginning when we walk out of here, before we walk out of here. Because we become sensitive to the things that the Lord Jesus lived out. And sensitive to the ways that people like Paul the Apostle changed. Changed. Because they met Jesus. Today the band's going to come and lead us in a song that is going to give us a chance to, if you've never had a chance or an opportunity to, to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we're going to invite you to come as we sing a song and just come right down here and we'll be glad to, to, to talk, you, talk with you about that decision. It's also going to be a time of dedication for us as we sing the song that, you know, we're resolved that, you know what, <laughs> the Spirit can change me, the Spirit wants to change me, and I need to open up and, and let the Spirit work on me in that regard, all of us. But also it's going to be a time when we lead into that wonderful, wonderful time of communion where Christians, all Christians, and we invite all Christians today to join in this testimony of faith, this testimony, remembrance of Jesus and his sacrifice, such an important thing. I invite you to come today, to join today with me in deciding that I'm going to let the Lord change this about me today, to remember with me the Lord and his sacrifice at Calvary as we sing together. Would y'all stand as we sing together?